Hi, my name is Rhonda Minga, and I would like to welcome you today to Freedom Ministries in Crossed, Arkansas. I invite you to connect with us online at freedomministriescrossed.com. Now let's take the time to pray before we tune in to today's message. Lord, I lift you up, and I just pray that you draw us by your Spirit. I pray that you show us your Word. You give us great and mighty revelations of who you are and how you want to move in and through us. Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know if I'm ready for you. Wow. Mm. Good morning. Woo. <laughs> this is the day. That the Lord has made, and I shall rejoice and be glad in it. Ooh, man, we are, we are so privileged to be here this morning with you guys. And uh, it's awesome to have uh, a team of people traveling with me. And um, Pastor, uh, Pastor Terry and Pastor Lori uh, here at the front. And then uh, Vicki and Regina. And Miss Mary, hallelujah. So we're going to have a boot camp Bible school once a month, and we've been meeting for a little while, and, and uh, then they started traveling, and we were at a house meeting a couple of weeks ago, and God just kind of jailed things together, and they got excited and said, we want to go where you go. And so uh, it's a blessing to have them along, and Ooh, it's a blessing to be here. Wow. <laughs> uh, heaven's blessed and you guys are blessed. Amen. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been set up this morning or something. Lord, we just bless you this morning, God. You're worthy to be praised in this house, Lord. You're worthy to be lifted up and exalted. There's no God like Jehovah. <laughs> Father, we declare the kingdom of God is at hand, Lord. Your righteousness, your peace, and your joy over your people, Lord. Father, we just are excited because you are doing something in the land. God, you're stirring the land. You're stirring the nations, Lord God. You're stirring the world, Lord. We get to live at such a time like this, Lord. We get to be a part of what history is doing right now. Lord, we don't feel like anything is by chance, but God, you're setting up divine appointments across the land. God, you're connecting people with people to accomplish your task, Lord. Thank you that we get to be included in this plan, Lord. Woo, hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we don't have to be spectators. We get to go down on the field and get in the game. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo! Ho! <laughs> yeah. It's time for the church to stop being spectators. Time for us to get out of the stands and come down to the playing field. You know, we can get excited in the stands, but there's something about being on the field. And uh, I believe God's bringing people down on the field. He's inviting them to come on down. That's, I believe, the door Sister was talking about was there's a door opening for you to come on down and be on the team that God has. And... Uh, what a privilege to be on that team. Hallelujah. Amen. So, woo. We're going to turn somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> All you prophets, prophesy where? <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 12. Thank you, Apostle, for inviting us to come. And I. Uh, you know, you'll never go anywhere that your, your head doesn't go. 
You'll never operate in a greater authority than what your leadership does. And, you know, you got a leader that's been going the past year up to Conway because she's hungry for more. Hallelujah. And there's many been going also. But hallelujah for those that are hungry for more. You won't get more if you're not hungry for more. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, I, you know, God could, God could bring, re- I, I love this saying, God could bring revival right here. I remember when we used to spend a lot of time, effort, and money to go to Brownsville. Well, brother, God could bring revival right here if he wanted to. I said, yeah, he could if he wanted to, but he ain't doing it, so I'm going to go where it's at. Amen. I don't see it happening right here, so I'm going to go try to find it. Amen. That's what uh, my, some of my friends went down there first, and they said, they came back, wow. And I was like, why didn't you ask me to come, man? I've been wanting to go. And so I loaded my family up and went very shortly thereafter. And he can come and just show up on somebody's couch, but it's, you know, there's a 1% chance because God can do about anything he wants to do. I believe in Psalms 115, he says, I'm the God of heaven. I do what I want to. You know, some people put God in a box and say, well, he can't do that. Well, I don't know. He's a gentleman. He'll only do what you allow him to do. Well, ask Saul of Tarsus about that. Yeah. He had his mind set up about what he was going to do, and God just changed it. It's not that hard. Just slap you down in the dirt for a while, blind you for three days, and get your attention. And So he can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And he could show up and just have revival on somebody's couch, but it's not very likely because he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek after him, that are pressing in and laying hold of. Why, you know, why would he give something that valuable to somebody that's really not interested? In, um, in Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to. Verse 49. I had cataract surgery a while back. And now the print's too small to read. So I had to read my phone. You can, you can, you can increase the fonts on your phone to where you can read them. So in Luke 12, 49, Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I dis- I'm distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, no, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three and Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Lord said, I came to bring a fire. I wish it was already kindled. I wish it was already going on, but I came to bring fire. John the Baptist said, there's one coming. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, some reason he added that and fire on there because a lot of us in the Pentecostal rims know about being baptized in the Holy Ghost. But we, do we really have the fire? Something happens when the fire gets on you that stirs you up. We've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and we can speak in tongues and we can shout and holler and run around in a church. But we need some fire to get on us. I heard Rodney Hart Brown say one time when uh, Samson lit those 300 foxes tails on fire. That they all ran. It didn't matter if it was an old fox. It didn't matter if it was a young fox. It didn't matter if it was blind in one eye. It didn't matter if it was a red fox or a gray fox. It didn't matter if it had three legs or four legs. It didn't matter if it had a, 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 a spur in his paw or whatever. When the fire came, he ran. What did he do? He went through and lit the fields on fire everywhere. So we have a lot of excuses along the way. But I'm telling you, the fire gets on you. <laughs> Woo! <It won't. clears throat> the excuses tend to go away. There's, you know, we, it's, it's a blessing that we operate in a certain dimension, but we become comfortable with that dimension, and then God wants to take us to a new level because 
He, he, he wants the whole world to experience what we're experiencing. To experience his love and his joy and his peace and his fire and his comfort and his power and his anointing. And for fear to go away. For heaven to come. He wants heaven to come. What's the Lord's prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. No sickness, no disease, no wheelchairs, no blindness, no anxiety, no fear, no depression. He's praying, let it come. Your responsibility on earth is to bring heaven wherever you're at. So many of us now are so worried about getting to heaven soon. And, I mean, that's pretty high priority. I want to go to heaven. Uh, I'm going to heaven. I hope you are. I hope to see you there. But a lot of us have been consumed. I believe the church has been consumed with an escape mentality. Lord, come and rescue us. And, I mean, how many books sell about Jesus coming back right now and everything's ready and all the signs are near and he's fixing to come back and church after church, wow, he's coming back soon. We need, we're in such bad shape. We're so desperate. I say, well, really, we're, we're better off than anybody else has been since time began, especially in America. I mean, if we think we've seen persecution yet, we haven't seen nothing yet. You know that? And I believe Jesus is coming back. Don't get me wrong. I just don't think it's time yet. I think we're too concerned. We're supposed to preach that he's coming back. But he's coming back for a spotless bride. And I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, he's not coming back for a beat down, beat up bride hiding in a closet somewhere saying, come and help me. He's coming back for a glorious bride that has authority over the devil and the devil's kingdom. That's ruling and reigning. Hallelujah. That's setting up heaven on earth. That's what he's coming back for. He said, I gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we see the saints are still spectators. They're not really doing the work of the ministry till they, be, till they come to the fullness and the nature and the stature of Christ. To the saints, not a few paid people to pe uh, preach out of the pulpit, but to the saints come to the fullness, the measure, the stature of Christ. So why would he prematurely come back? What? I mean, he's, he set up a kingdom. He gave his life. He said, I've given you all authority and I've given you all power. Now go do the stuff. Go wreck the devil's kingdom. Go tear the darkness down. Go set up heaven. Bring it wherever you're at on your job. Bring righteousness, peace, and joy. Where In your household, bring righteousness, peace, and joy. Bring the kingdom and the culture and the nature and the atmosphere of heaven wherever you're at. Until really earth kind of looks like heaven. That's what he died for. He said, I'm going to go away, but there's another one coming, a helper. Well, Romans 8 says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, you see so many Christians walking around in fear. 90% of the church don't even believe there are devils to cast out. I mean, we, if you were born and raised in this church or you've been in a lot of years and never been in another church, man, if you get out there and look around, uh, you're blessed because you would think there's no other way. But if, if you work a job, you're around other people, and you start talking about, man, we had a person with three devils cast out last week. They'll look at you like, or our church has an apostle. What? Where do you get that at? Where's that in the Bible? Pastor's in there one time. But everybody in America is a pastor that fills the pulpit. I mean, something ain't right. There's a stirring coming. Sister said it and some others said it. That uh, there's a shift and a change coming. The way we normally do church and the way things are in structure and in order is not going to get it. The church, the church basically in America is a corporation. It's run like a corporation. You hire people. You fire people. The staff comes in and does all the work, and the others come in and are spectators. I mean, look at our mega churches, our super churches. Everybody comes in. you got a one-hour service. You're in and out. you got your 
Krispy Kreme and your Dunkin' Donuts and you're in and out and you've had a nice time. You've seen a couple of videos and heard something about how to have a better life now. But are you equipped to the fullness, the measure, the stature of Christ? He said, I'm giving you all authority. Go make disciples of all nations. We got to disciple our own nation first. I mean, why, why would our nation, if the church was doing what it's supposed to do, why would our nation be in the situation we're in right now? Where if you see on the news, anything that looks like righteousness is mocked and made fun of. And anything that totally opposes the Bible is celebrated and praised. Where's the church? We got our head in the sand saying we're waiting on a rescue mission. Woo, come get us Jesus before we get took over. Said, I sent you down there to take over. What are you doing? Somebody came along and preached to us some kind of theology or doctrine that said we were still supposed to just be a, a lot of sheep out in a field somewhere just going, bah, bah, bah. And if some wolf comes in, we all leave that pastor and go to another pastor. Well, on the other side of the lamb, there's a lion. There's a lion of the tribe of Judah that says, Sheep, it's time for you to roar a little bit. I ain't called you to be the carpet that the devil walks on every day. I mean, that don't mean we're rude or belligerent, but that don't mean we back down either. I mean, most Christians don't even know what it has, means to be a, have a biblical world belief. How can we go into ballot boxes and vote for somebody that believes in killing babies? I mean, and most of the, and I probably ain't supposed to get on this stuff, but that's what I'm getting on now. Even 75% of Christians are registered to vote. Half of them actually vote. I mean, we're in a nation. We have the opportunity to make a decision about something that will help guide us along as a Christian nation, and we're told not even to get involved in it. Are we out of our minds? Because our forefathers gave their lives and their families and everything else to come and start one nation under God. We've got privileges and rights, and we're just letting them go by the wayside. We're still st sitting in the stands up there, and we're, you know, shouting at the few people down there trying to run the ball a little bit. God's calling us all to get involved in what's happening. We need awakening. We're, you know, we can say things are getting pretty bad, but I'm looking up and say this is good, because when it gets bad, God shows up. Woo! You know, in, the, in that scripture, it says, Jesus says, I'm being distressed. I'm being pressed. I'm, I'm waiting for this baptism. Now, he was being baptism, a baptism of judgment. Because God was about to come and judge the world and lay it on the shoulders of Jesus. But I believe the church right now, those that are going after heaven, we're distressed. We're perplexed. We feel like that, that word talks about in a channel, in a squeeze. About this baptism that's coming. This baptism for awakening and fire. Because it's just, it's history as things get worse. That there's some place along the church gets stirred up and up. Look in the book of Judges when the church would fall away and they'd go after idols and everything else. Then a time would come when they would begin to pray and cry out to God. And amazingly God showed up in his grace and his mercy sent a deliverer, sent somebody to help, poured out his spirit on the land, run off the enemy, and had heaven on earth. Until we got too comfortable with heaven on earth and let it slide away again. But I believe God wants to believe it, bring us into a place of sustained revival. Not coming for a few years and going, but coming and keep growing and keep going until the Lord comes back. I believe that's why God's putting things in order. I believe there's there's a blueprint from heaven, and the church has not followed it. We've been a corporation. We've, see, uh, Danny, can't think of his last name. He wrote a, a book, uh, Culture of Honor. He says, the church right now is the best darkness that the world has to offer. Because we've created, we've created the, corporate program and we've done it as good as the corporations 
And we've done the best we can if you, if you take the spirit out of things and just look at the natural realm. You've got 40,000, 50,000 people coming to this church, that church. We've done it the best using the model and the plans of earth. But we haven't done it using the plans of heaven. And we filled buildings. But have we filled people? But God has a plan. I mean, if you really read through the book of Acts, the way we've created, modeled, and run the church is really not like what the Bible says. And if we start shifting it around to like the Bible says, people get really frustrated. One thing, they lose their vote. The committee lost its power. Ooh, y'all are getting real excited. <laughs> he said, I appointed apostles first in the church. Prophets, teachers. But the church in general, that's not the way it operates. So somebody has to model the way it operates. So that other people can see how it operates. I believe there's a blueprint from heaven and God gave it to us. How do we operate? You know, we're all growing in that blueprint because none of us are really seeing it modeled many places anywhere. We're having to grow into what, was, what does it look like to have, you know, we, we see churches that say they're apostolic, but really they're United Pentecostal oneness. It's not really an apostolic model of a church. But what does it look like really to be an apostolic church? That's what we're pressing into. That's the doors that God is opening, I believe. To have, let us model the church the way it was. To have mothers and fathers in the church. To have a family. It's a church family. It's not a corporation. It's not a membership. It's a family. And praise God, I'm really excited because if I was in some churches today, most of y'all be sitting in the back rows. <laughs> It's exciting to see people actually sit down close to the front. Hallelujah. I mean, they're a little bit excited about heaven coming. And maybe they're not afraid of what might show up in the, in the altar area. You know, some people are just terrified sitting in the back with their eyes wide open. Like, you know, we're so, the, the church in general, and I, I'm, I'm not slamming it. I'm just trying to, sh- to reveal some things to us. The church in general is terrified of the Holy Ghost. How are we going to do the work of God without the Holy Ghost? I mean, you could sit in front of a horror movie, Jason and all these others, and Friday the 13th, part 24, and I mean, the, the Walking Dead or whatever they are, and we could sit in front of those all day. But somebody shows up in the room and goes, we're like, what was that? What was that? I believe that's a devil. I mean, that's the first thing. That's a devil. Just get on the elevator somewhere. They can't get out till you get to the next floor, you know. So there's. <laughs> but they're terrified of that. But you could probably have some rap song on that talks about filthy language, and they'd be sitting there. Yeah, man. We're, we're more comfortable with the things of this world than the things of that world. And God's got to get us so comfortable. I mean, you know, the, the Bible says in the book of Acts that after the Holy Spirit fell and Peter preached and 3,000 were baptized, they met daily. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers. People were being healed. Three to five years, they met almost daily. Why? I believe God was creating a culture because a lot of them had to come out of some parts of the Jewish culture. And a lot of them had come from other nations gathered together there. And they had to come out of their cultures. And God wanted to establish Jesus in them with the, with the 12 that had been with Jesus. And so it took them meeting every day, breaking bread, the apostles teaching them, praying for them. They're seeing miracles. You can read in the book of Acts how miracles grow from uh, uh, the very start there in Acts chapter 2 and 3. And then the the next thing they're meeting and Peter and 
and John go to the gate called Beautiful, and the man at the gate called Beautiful is raised up and completely healed, and they have another revival, and 5,000 more people get saved, baptized in water. Peter and John get locked up, and then they go again. More miracles are happening. Then Ananias and Phrys are sitting in a service and people are giving or whatever and they're coming and they're meeting and they're giving and they sold land and they lied about what they gave and they died. It said God killed them. The Holy Spirit killed them. A lot of people today have trouble with that. How could God do something like that? You know, how come we're not seeing it in our churches? Because there's not enough. What happened... There's an acceleration. When you're in the glory of the Lord, there's an acceleration. What does that mean? It's like when we went to Brownsville, you'd see somebody come to the altar, get saved, filled with the fire of God. Later that night, you'd go down to the Waffle Hut or the Waffle House, and they'd be laying hands on somebody and praying for them. And you're like, my mind was like, how are you doing this? I know you had not been in church 15 years. You just got saved a while ago. But there's such a glory, and I believe what God was doing there was an apostolic revival. There was a sending anointing there to carry that impartation out with you, and nobody told them they couldn't do it. And something inside was telling them to do it. And so they went out, and they seen somebody sick and say, Hey, I just feel like I need to pray for you. I don't understand this a whole lot, but I feel like I need to lay hands on you. Bam, they get healed. They're like, woo, wow, look at this. So there was an acceleration. I mean, it, it didn't take them five years and three healing schools to learn how to pray for somebody. It was in them. If the Holy Spirit really came in us, if God really, and, and John, it says, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comes in us to live. Now, if we're giving him free reign, stuff's going to happen. Because everywhere Jesus went, stuff happened. So there, there's an acceleration. What they were in for three years was acceleration. It was grace. It was glory. I mean, heaven was coming. People were being healed. All kind of stuff was happening. But where there's an acceleration of grace, there's an acceleration of judgment. I mean, that's how come in church today we can sin and get away with it. Because there's not much glory in the house. So people can be in churches, living together, shacked up, doing whatever, shooting drugs, smoking dope, drinking beer, all week long, come back into church and ha-ra-ba-sha-ta. Because, I mean, we're getting a little sprinkle of Holy Spirit. But not enough to bring conviction I would say every, every church I've been in, there's probably people living together that have been in that church for a while, and really they're not convicted about it. I'm like, what is going on? I went to a church one time, was praying for people, and this young man said, pray, pray for uh, my girlfriend here. Uh, she needs the Holy Ghost. Pray for her, baptizing the Holy Ghost. And something spoke to me and said, are y'all married? And he, I said, are y'all married? He said, no. I said, are y'all living together? Yeah. I mean, he had no problem. And I said, I want, he said, I want to live with her for about three months to see if she's really a Christian or not. I'm like, she needs to get away from you because you're not a Christian. I mean, where did this theology come from? We'll live together three months to find out if she's a Christian or not. I just said, I'm not praying for you. I'm not praying for her. You need to get right with God. But see, we're afraid we might offend somebody if we tell them they need to get right with God. Come on, the church. We have to say things. We can say them in love. People are going to get mad. We don't want nobody to be mad at us. I'm here to tell you, if you walk like Jesus walked, people are not going to be happy. There's a light inside of you. Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, the light has come. And my commentary is the people that are not right with God don't like the light and they're leaving. And the people that want to be right with God come and let them be exposed to the light. Because the light's going to reveal everything. The, the light's going to bring the trash to the top. It's going to expose it. 
And we'd rather hide it and be in bondage than let it be exposed and get set free. So part of the, God's bringing some stuff that's not going to always be pretty in the church. If we really come under an apostolic calling or apostolic mandate, what happens if somebody dies in the church? What happens if people are stood up and rebuked in the church? I mean, how often do you see that happen? But it's not to destroy the church and it's not to destroy that person. It's so they might be saved. It's so they might be rescued. It's so they might uh, change their mind, repent, humble themselves before God and go to heaven one day. God's not doing these things to kill us. He's doing these things because he loves us. But we got to have the fortitude to do what God's calling us to do. And you can't do those hard things without the Holy Ghost because my nature is to love people and not make anybody upset. But there's a holy righteousness in the Holy Spirit that'll stir us up. And they'll look with people, look in people's eyes with piercing eyes and the love of God, but the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So you need to make things right. God loves you, but He's not going to let you live this life like this and have Him in it. You got We're com- committing adultery on God. We want to marry God, but we want to sleep with the devil. I like to ask people, how's that working for you? That's why the life is miserable. It's like you want to be happy with God, but you want to be happy with the enemy too. You know, you can tell. It's a scary thing to believe God for revival to be poured out. Because heaven comes to earth and people are radically transformed and touched by the power. But then... We want the power, but we really don't want to change life or lifestyle. And if we go back home and watch and listen to and do and act like we used to, the enemy's coming and he's going to kill us. That's why God has, I mean, he has to establish us. That's why I believe it takes time and prayer and all to build a foundation. So when the Holy Ghost hurricane comes, we can stand in the midst of the hurricane. Man, it's like a, a war zone because whenever heaven shows up, devils show up. I'm just trying to give you, do you really want this or not? Devils show up. Witches show up. Warlocks, they'll pray around your church. They'll do all kind of stuff. We had 18 weeks of revival last year. For two weeks every night, one of our leaders would have, uh, it looked like a heart attack. Their chest would be blowing up on them. And we'd have to pray and pray. And we'd finally pray and they'd come through it. And next night it'd be somebody else. And there were witches across the street praying over the uh, uh courthouse area we're right across the street from the courthouse see we say we want revival but do you know there's a price to pay there's a battle to fight but the thing is if you've ever been in it if you've ever been touched by it you don't care what the price is I don't care if I gotta die I don't care because you're probably gonna lose everything or lose some things or stuff's gonna change and it's gonna be hard but oh for one touch from the master's hand to have heaven come down in your midst to hear the voice of God to know that you're in the will of God and you're doing his plans and his purpose there's nothing else like it it's the pearl of great price it's worth going after it's heaven on earth You can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of trials and tribulations. I've been preaching about Joseph some, and at the end, Joseph comes, and if you've ever seen the movie, he stands in Pharaoh's court. They bring him. He took a shower, has a little towel wrapped around Stands in Pharaoh's court, and there's all the magicians and soothsayers and all these uh, demonic people lined up in the movie. doesn't say that in the book, actually, but none of his magicians could tell him what the interpretation of a prayer was but they're all lined up and Pharaoh comes up there on his platform and all of them bow their faces to the ground like he's God and Joseph a slave with nothing he don't have all his fancy clothes and all this stuff he just stands there he doesn't bow down I'm like wow But you know why Joseph spent the last 17 or so years going from the pit to slavery to the jail to Potiphar's house? 
So when he arrived at that moment, when we'd stand before Pharaoh, he could end his, there was something inside of him that said, I'm not bowing down to nobody, man. I've done been sold and put in the pit by my brothers. I've been in slavery. I've been in Potiphar's house where I was a good boy and got kicked out for doing the right thing, got put into prison. I've been in prison for these years with all these gangsters down here. Man, do you think I'm bowing down to you? I know my God is able to take care of me no matter if I'm in the pit, in the prison, standing before Pharaoh, wherever I am. My God is able, so let's go. See, are we ready to throw down when something like that comes up? Are we we're going to compromise and bow down. We got Christian leaders don't want to cross in their churches. Don't want to talk about the blood because it might offend somebody. But if you know it's the, the, the reason you're here is because of the blood. Woo! So God's trying to build something inside of us. So he may take some of us before senators, congressmen, rulers, presidents. That we can stand, or maybe millionaires, or people with influence, that we can stand and not compromise or bow down. Because I've already been 40 rounds with the devil. You don't bother me at all. This past summer, I went to a training class for entrepreneurs, mentorship, and found out about this more extensive mentorship. And we, had, we met in the room with the owners of this business that trains people. They're pretty well off and their culture is drinking and partying and all this stuff so I wanted to tell him before I got in this mentorship I talked with him for a minute said I need to talk to you for a minute I'm a Holy Ghost filled preacher I'm probably not going to come out and have drinks with you my culture and my I, I honor what you've done the skills you have to build this business but my culture is a little bit different he looked at me and he said well you probably won't want none of your people to hang around us and I said, no, you probably don't want your people to hang around us. He looked at me and said, man, you've been doing this a little while, hadn't you? Yep. But see, 15 years ago, I don't know if I would have said that. I wasn't ready to stand with people of that influence. So God has us on a preparation I mean, just look at our nation is uh, people are sued and lose everything because they refuse to bake a cake uh, for a gay wedding. And where are the Christians standing up and saying something about it? Not very many. And a coach is kicked off of a football team that he's been on for years in Oregon because he prays at the 50-yard line after the ball game when nobody's there. Where's the uproar? Why, why does this stuff pass by? Why is the church quiet? Woo, because we're fixing to get rescued. Come on, something's got to settle inside of us. Something inside our deep inner being. Ah! Jesus said, I need to be baptized. I'm perplexed until I get baptized with that baptism. Because he knew what was fixing to happen when he went through what he was fixing to go through. He would be the seed planted in the ground, but there would be a great plant and a great harvest come from that seed, from that one man dying. The People talk about the blood of the martyrs as a seed of revival. But he knew from giving his life away, it would reproduce many. Man, if the devil had only known that when he crucified Christ, that the change would be there would be a lot of people just like him operating. In fact, in 1 uh, Corinthians, I believe it said, if they'd have known what was going to happen, they wouldn't have done it. So he was perplexed and waiting and pressing in to go through what was about to happen because he knew something was going to happen. And we're in the perplexed state of pressing in, God. We've got to have awakening. We've got to have revival. We've got to have outpouring, God. We've got children. We've got family. We've got cousins. We've got people that are addicted and broken. Our cities, the drugs are coming in. The gangs are coming in. Stuff is unreasonable and crazy. Laws are being passed. I mean, like California where they... They said it's, it's not against the law for an underage person to be a prostitute. Kids. It's not illegal for kids to stand on the street corner and prostitute themselves. What kind of lawmakers would make a law like that? That they want the Bible outlawed in California because it's a hate book. Come on, what happens in California is usually spreading. In fact, that's what happened in Texas. 
They said a lot of the Californians moved to Texas because they didn't like the way things are going on. This don't make sense to me. They don't like the way things are going on in California, but they moved to Texas and they want the same stuff that California had to operate in Texas. Well, you're going to have the same stuff happening in Texas that you had in California. You had to move somewhere else. Like a school teacher moved down from Chicago because they dropped plants out of the third story at school and just missed her, almost killed her. So she moved to Huntsville, Alabama because it was too violent. When she got down there, she didn't like it because they were having prayer meetings in school. Like, woman, you don't understand. The reason they're not dropping pot plants out of the third floor window to try to kill you is because they're having prayer meetings in school. Uh, we can't relate this where heaven shows up and the Ten Commandments on their wall and God's involved. Things change. So we think we can have all those things without God involved, but we can't. We have to have Him involved. He has to change people's hearts. Laws don't change people's hearts. God changes their hearts. And we want to walk under the influence. I'm tired of being sober. Some of y'all know what I mean. Some of y'all are like, man, we got an AA guy here. No. <laughs> I don't want to be sober no more. See, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They looked at him and said, those guys are drunk in the morning. I mean, how many times have you been in church besides here? Where you walked into church, you said, those guys are drunk. That's what the first day of the first church looked like. Now, why would we want to change things? We spent 2,000 years getting sober. I can't do that. God's speaking to you. I want you to go to the nations. Oh, no, God, I'm scared. You're scared because you ain't drunk. I want you to go talk to your neighbor. Oh, I couldn't do that. My neighbor's pretty mean. You can't go because you're not drunk. Drunk people in the natural do strange things. Anybody been around some drunks, you know? I mean, they'll do anything. They'll get in people's face. They'll stand out in the highway, take all their clothes off, and try to sing. Some of them will turn themselves into the jail. Some of them want to fight. I had a friend in, in, uh, at the paper mill. He, he was in the army. He said he's over in France. He'd get drunk. He'd stand up on the barroom table. He'd say, you little ones come two at a time. You big ones come fast as you can get here. And said he'd draw his fist back in the first big one and knock him off the table, knock him out. Two weeks later, he's drunk again, standing back up on the table. Come on. I mean, you'll do irrational things when people are intoxicated on alcohol. But that's a counterfeit for what God wants when you're intoxicated with the Holy Ghost. We, we, we're working too hard to be sober. Pray for people, they fall on the ground and other people's trying to help them up real quick. Come on, get up. Get up. What are you doing? Let them lay there. They can get up when they can get up. In fact, you stand over them. If they try to get up, pray for them again. I mean, I've been in services where people, I want everything. And so when they try to get up, I pray for them again. I pray for them again, pray for them again. They finally say, stop praying for me. I thought you wanted everything. <laughs> Come on. I mean, this is when God's pouring out his spirit. It's time to drink. Uh, we're, we're, you know, who, who went to the bar for one beer? Just give me one. That's all I want. Especially Friday night or Saturday. I mean, I don't, see very, I don't see anybody going to Walmart and just buying a one-pack. The world drinks better than the church. I mean, especially young people, they go in there and buy a 24-pack, all they can carry. I can carry this much. I don't know, that's good for them, but it ain't good for me. I believe I'll sit back here and watch. I don't know about this. Stop being sober. It's a whole lot funner when you're tore up from the floor up. 
See, people are going to notice when cars are still here at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, what's going on in that place? Let's stop by here, Martha, and see what's happening. They've been having cars in the parking lot all time of the day and night. Let's go in there. I mean, when they just walk in, bam, like in the foyer, like in the parking lot. I mean, I was at Brownsville. People drive up in the park. Two elderly ladies drove down there, drove, and, you know, they pulled in the parking lot, and their front tires hit that bumper thing or the tire stopped. And they were both slain in the spirit, sitting in their car. Their head hit the horn. They didn't even get it out of, out of drive. So some people came over knocking on the window. They couldn't even roll down. Finally, she hit the button. Somebody stuck their hand in, put it in park, and turned the key off. Come on. I mean, to me, that's fun. I was with one pastor and one of the first revivals I preached in, and about a week or so into revival, and I mean, one lady, she could not get off the floor. And she had two children with her. She, her and her husband were separated right then. And so finally, we carried her outside, and we thought she could get to her car. But we got everything locked up, closed up, opened the door, and she's laying on the grass right out there where we. <laughs> so we had to get pastor's wife to drive her in the pastor's wife's car. And we got in her truck with her son, who was nine years old, and he had to tell us how to get to their house. Praise God, he knew how to get there. And then when we got there, Pastor had to pick her up and carry her in and lay her on the couch. And he come back out of the car and he said, I can't believe we're out here having to carry people in there. I'm like, I thought that's what you was praying for. You upset. You upset. Think about it. You upset because somebody is so slain in the Holy Ghost that we have to carry them home. You should be running around the car rejoicing and shouting. We get upset at the wrong things. The Bible says it's the work of the ministry. I don't know what people think that is, but it may be trying to get people out of the church and home. I mean, we need wheelchairs to come in with people crippled and they get healed. And other people that came in okay, we got to push them out in the wheelchair. Because they can't walk. That lady testified, of her daughter testified at a revival I just preached a couple years ago, 17 years span, said that night the whole couch shook all the way across the living room floor with her on it. During that revival, her husband had come to my motel room and confronted me, you know, what's going on? I went back there about six months later, and they're married again. He got touched by it. Woo, come on. See, you can get something on you the devil can't have nothing to do with. Some of us want to take a shower and God wants us to take a bath. I was in the shower the other day. We've got kind of a jacuzzi cub in our trailer. And when I'm home, I, you know, on the road taking showers, whatever, I love to sit down in that cup, tub and get it hot and fill it up. You know, when, when you get out of there, when you lay in a hot tub, it heats your whole core up. When you get out there and I go in, and my wife, we always run a little air conditioner in the bedroom, and I can't have no covers on for an hour or two because the core is heated. Now, if I take a shower, that feels good while I'm taking a shower. But once I get out and dry off, I'm room temperature. I have to go in there, I have to put covers on. And a lot of us are just taking a shower and we don't want to get in the tub. We don't want God to really do it inside. I mean, get in our bones, Lord. Get in us so much that we'll be like Elisha. I mean, they buried him in a tomb and a while later because... The Bible says when they put the dead man in there, it touched his bones. So everything he was wrapped with and prepared with was all rotten away. So he's been there for a while. And he touches Elisha's bones. Boom! Comes to life. I wonder what he thought sitting down there in a tomb with dead man's bones and him alive. Like, where? how am I get here? But I'm... Could... Ooh, the sleeping. People don't really believe in impartation. They don't believe in carrying something. They don't, you know, why do you pray with fire cloths? You know, that's just magic or something. Well, Acts 19 said they took cloths off Paul's body, laid them on the sick, and they were healed, and demons came out of them. 
I mean, if an anointing could be we, in dead man's bones after a long period of time, the anointing can be on stationary stuff. But I got this to say. The rag wasn't really created to carry the anointing. You were. So what I say is I ain't letting no rag outdo me. Amen. Come on. I don't want rags to heal more people than what I get to lay hands and heal people. I mean, who you going to let a rag outdo you? Now I give, I pray for people and give them these rags at times and say, take this and lay it on people and pray for them. It, you know, it helps build up your faith. Carry it around in your pocket just to remind you that the fire of God wants to live inside of you. And then I believe one day you're going to be at the place where you're praying for rags and you're giving them away to people. That's where we want to be at. We had a man in the, in the motel in Memphis one time. We got there about 2 o'clock in the morning. We were traveling from Pastor Darla's to another church. Woo. 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a big motel, but it's an old one near the airport. I had a big foyer and all this stuff. And this uh, little bell man met us there. To, he was going to get our bags. and So I walked on over to the register to register, and Daniel was with me, and he was a little bit slower getting behind. And this lady comes out from the hallway there at 2 o'clock in the morning dressed in some pretty revealing clothes. And I don't want to give too much information. She comes walking. She talks to the little bellhop. The bellhop comes over to Daniel and says, Hey, big guy, are you big enough for that? So he's getting propositioned right there. And he's, and Daniel starts, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. <laughs> That's a good word to say. Then he comes walking over to me. I'm at the desk. He said, uh, what about you? And I said, I don't think Jesus would like that. It looked like somebody slapped him. I mean, the smile went, poo. It looked like somebody had said, pow. Conviction. He turned around rather quickly, but he had to go out and get our bags. We got down to our bags down there, getting them on the cart, moving the car. He's like, I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to do better. I'm sorry. I didn't mean. <laughs> Come on, that's, that's what God wants us to walk in every day, that when we walk up on people, there's a convicting that comes on them. I'm sorry. I said, that's okay. We're going to pray for you. Oh, pray for me. I need it. Help me. And so I brought him, I got him one of these fire cloths. I said, this is going to help you. I'm going to pray for you with this. Carry it around in your pocket. Every time you feel stupid again, pull it back out. I'm, this, I don't know about y'all, but this stuff's fun to me. I mean, instead of being a, I don't know if I can, I say, man, I can't wait till today. I don't know what you're going to do, God, but oh, it's going to be crazy. I mean, God will put you in some places you're like, oh, man. But it's awesome. I don't want to get to heaven and not have any stories. When you get to heaven and there's some little girl there and you say, hello, sweetie, how was your life? She said, well, in the Colosseum, I watched them sacrifice my father to the lions. And he told me, whatever you do, don't compromise Jesus. And then next, I was fed to the lions. She said, and what did you do? I made sure the pastor kept the temperature right in the church. I made sure nobody else sat in my pew. I made sure they didn't get the music too loud. Come on, I, our history doesn't leave us when we get to heaven. The things we did for God are eternal. You know, the Bible says Cornelius was praying and giving alms and like a billboard appeared in heaven. Cornelius is praying. He's giving. He wasn't even a Christian yet, and his billboard appeared in heaven. Lord, what's appearing in heaven before our half? 
When we get there, well, there'll be a sign up that said, Bill prayed for this man. Bill gave to have this orphanage. Bill helped feed these people. God wants us all to have a story. You shall receive power to do these things when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You know what happened at Brownsville? They started the school because so many people felt the call of God. In the fire of God, you'll feel the call of God. A third of the people down there were married couples 40 years or older who sold their house and quit their jobs and gave everything away to go to Bible school to serve Jesus. A third of the people. Another third were single adults older, and another third were students younger, 18 to 24. And they were licensing and ordaining so many people and sending them on the mission field. And part of the intervention was the Assemblies of God said, you can't do that. they got to go through our program. So religion kind of got in the way. But see, the fruit of revival was people from hearing from God getting equipped and ready to go. Willing to sacrifice. Because they got touched by heaven. We owe everybody not just to tell them that Jesus is God, but for them to have an encounter with Jesus. To feel the touch of God. To taste and see that the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. You know, we can have a theological debate with somebody, but once His presence comes, the debate is over. Wow. Lord, speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts, Lord. That, Lord, we'd say, send revival here, God. I lay down my agenda. For your agenda, God. I lay down my life for your life, that I might have yours, God. Said to have life, you must give your life. Lord, I want to see what it looks like to walk in heaven, to see your kingdom come in power. I want to get in the bathtub, God. I want the fire, the heat, heat my core up, God. I want to be like Jeremiah says, I'm tired of preaching this. I'm tired of saying. I'm tired of speaking your words, God. It's causing me trouble everywhere I go. But there's a fire in my bones, God, and I can't shut up. Something's happened to me, and I can't shut my mouth. God, put something in us. Put a fire inside of us. Baptize, God. We're in the pressure. We're in distress. We're in between two straits saying, baptize us. Press us in to that next thing you have for us, God. We're ready to surrender everything, Lord God. We want to see heaven come, Lord. God, we're destitute. God, we won't be satisfied. We won't make it through. God, if heaven doesn't show up in power. Oh! We had a guy at Teen Challenge Thursday night, got saved. We didn't even say a simple prayer. I said, open your heart. God wants to come live. Jesus wants to come live. The Holy Spirit wants to come live inside of you. Not some, something in your mind, but God himself wants to take over your temple. We prayed for him, and man, God touched him when he got up from that. He said, all my life I've doubted. But today, there's something else. 
he'd, he'd been in a uh, wrapping gifts at the mall for Teen Challenge, and he got a message from a lady. He said, God's been doing something in my life today. And he said, just a while ago, I'm not doubting anymore. I know he's alive, and he's inside me. I feel called a minister. I feel the leading of God in my life now. He's in me, and he's alive inside of me. And if you're here this morning, first thing I want to ask, is he in you? Is he alive inside of you? Is the old man passing away and there's a brand new man? Not that you just, you know, you need to pray, you need to ask God to come in, but it's not just about having a simple prayer. It's about asking the King of glory, the creator of the universe, to come inside of me and live inside of me, God. Move and live and have your being and have your way, God. Show me your ways. Order my steps, God. I've done it my way, God, and it's not working. God, I'm ready for your way. If you're here this morning and you're ready for his way, I want you to come to an altar. Is there anybody in here this morning saying, God, I'm ready for it to be your way. It's been my way. I've been the king of my life. But I'm asking for heaven's way. I surrender all, Lord. Thank you again for tuning in with us. If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed in Jesus' name.